fathers out there and friends everywhere, join the conversation. I'm David Wilkinson. I'm a husband, I'm a dad of three, and I'm a storyteller who's interested in talking to and learning from distinct fathers. And when possible, I like to have those conversations under the stars on my backyard deck. So pull up a chair and welcome to Dad Matters. In this episode, I sit down with my friend, Bobby Marco. Bobby and I go way back. We've worked on a film together. We've done a lot of video collaboration as well as other podcast things. He's extremely creative. I really respect his work ethic, but my favorite thing about Bobby is that he is a dad first and a storyteller second. We actually got into some really interesting territory about his own story, and he doesn't want to pull any punches when it comes to the problem of pain and how to deal with it. The truth of pain is that pain is inevitable. We put up barriers. I do it all the time. So it's natural. The lie is that when that pain happens, that there's no hope. But that's the lie. Dads, in each conversation, I try to ask myself three questions. Number one, where do I recognize myself in this conversation? Number two, what tools can I borrow from this dad? And number three, what's one thing that I can try this week? That's it. And so I hope you ask yourself those same three questions. So let's get the conversation started. Well, can you hear the frogs? Can you hear the crickets? It's another beautiful night under the stars. I'm in my podcast studio under the stars, as I like to call it, with my good friend, Bobby Marco. Bobby, how you doing, man? Man, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm really good because you're here. I'm thrilled that we get to catch up, even if we're hitting record. While we're catching up, I know that it's still going to be a genuine conversation. Yeah. Uh, and um, we have a lot of history. Lots. We have a Lots. lot of history. Okay. But you so are from Florida. I am from we, Florida. We, do, we have some Florida, Florida connections. <clears throat> yeah, we've, you've, you've been there and mm-hmm. know that. Uh, I'm a film, video director, producer, occasionally a cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been creating for years. I started in the music business, uh, moved up to Nashville because of it. I was in a band that got signed, and so made my home here in Nashville. Did the Nashville thing. Did the Nashville thing, not country. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the first question everybody asks. Did you play country? Right. No. Right. There's other forms of music in Nashville. That's so. right. That's right. <laughs> Believe it or not. So, yeah, I did that for several years, and then when 9-11 happened, everything just stopped. Right. And so I took a hiatus from music, not knowing that that would be the end, but I took a hiatus and um, found all the video footage from being on the road. Oh, Somehow yeah. I ended up with it all. So I taught myself how to inject, got a Mac. I forgot this. Yeah. I remember you telling me this. That's <laughs> yeah, right. That's I got, how you learned. This is how I got a Mac. I switched from PC to Mac yeah. because you had to edit video on a Mac. Right. So I learned the whole process. I made a commemorative DVD for all the guys in the band, uh-huh. gave it to them, and they loved it. They're like, wow, I didn't even know you did this. I said, I don't. I just figured it out. And they're like, you need to do this more often. So I was like, all right, well. And then, you know, all my connections were in music, so I started shooting music videos for everybody and right. uh, just made my connection that way, worked with a lot of artists that way, and, and found out that I really loved it. I really loved the art form. It was kind of a, 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 a different way of, uh, of creating than music, but I just really enjoyed it. And so that's kind of where the transition happened. Can you tell me what year, roughly, you started doing gigs for pay in the video world? You've been at it a while, and I yeah. just I'm trying to get a frame of reference. Yeah, I think it's really, really it started around 2005. Okay, 
is when things started happening. Yeah. I did a couple 48-hour films, so I started uh, venturing into the narrative world. <laughs> yeah, the 48-hour uh, film festival. Oh, uh, man. That's and a whole other podcast. It's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but let me tell you, that that's where I really cut my teeth and real, yep. realized that I love the art of storytelling. Yep. I did like everybody else. I said, well, if I'm going to get serious about it, started doing wedding films because that was like the easy money maker. When I, lo and behold, I didn't realize how hard that would be and how quick you need to be and how on your toes and on your feet. But the story element was still there. Mm. I didn't want it just to be a wedding videographer. I wanted to tell these this couple's story. But I, I remember quickly connecting with you because I was like, all right, this guy, he realizes that he puts his pants on one leg at a time just as much as the next person. Yeah. He's not about himself. He's not pitching himself. He's a storyteller at heart. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And so we definitely connected over that yeah. right out of the gate, I felt like. Plus, yeah. we just enjoyed laughing and, you know. <laughs> cracking up. Cracking up. Yeah, just hanging out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we uh, – and I remember you showing me the documentary you were working on. I think it was a documentary. The one uh, from India? When I went to India? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It was India. Yeah. And I remember all, watching all that. on my iPhone. All on your iPhone. But I remember thinking like same thing. I'm like, this is this guy's a storyteller. As we got to know each other, I was like, you were telling me of ideas and stories that you had and uh -huh. I was like, Wow, this is this is great, you know? And yeah, I think we had that immediate, you know, yeah. bond and um Yeah. I just I, I always appreciated that you always wanted to make something beautiful. You wanted it to make sense, you wanted it to make its mark as right. a product whoever the audience may be, right. but you, you wanted to put a lot of TLC into it, which is why. Well, I always I always look at almost anything I do and, and, and say, what would I want to see? Yeah. If this was mine, yeah. how would I want it to be? So whenever I have a little bit of time or you know as much time as I can pull out of it, I want to do as much as I can. And it's not about the money aspect. It's, it's more of just I want to maximize this opportunity for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And I And I'm... Sad to say, I don't know if I'm ever satisfied. There's been a few times where I've created projects <clears throat> with David Wilkinson to be one. But anyway, just to, <laughs> you know, um, to say, you know, that, that okay, this was good. Mm -hmm. Those moments are rare, mm -hmm. but they're very fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I also uh, remember when I had been kicking around the idea of doing um, a film, you and I had had uh, several conversations about just different story ideas and mm -hmm. we, we were always talking about stuff like that yeah, yeah. and i don't exactly remember the genesis of our partnership on the film project that we worked on but i do remember why i wanted to talk with you about it and mm -hmm. that was because even more than the you know the, the the beautiful footage that i might look at on something that you worked on mm -hmm. there was a a commitment that you have that it goes beyond just what your next project is. It's just who you are, which I'm sure will be, will be a, a sustaining part of you as a dad that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point here. <laughs> but your commitment was not in question. I needed someone who was actually good at what they did, but also uh, had a commitment level that would not flake out and Bobby, on top of that, someone who has integrity. Mm. That that is such a, a rare thing. And to have mm. all of those I mean that for you, that's actually a triple threat, dude. Mm. That's a triple threat. <laughs> like you got a great eye, you have a serious level of commitment, and you're a man mm. of integrity. It's it's a wow. big part of 
why I wanted to work with you. And it's why I like you too. It is. <laughs> well, I appreciate yeah. that. I mean, that's, that's, that's huge. That's, I, I don't think about those things, but I mean, I, there's just something about when I hear someone who's equally passionate about what they want to create that enthusiasm I was feeding off of because of the story and because of how, you know, how eager you were to tell it Yeah, and hearing why. And I, I, you know, there's great author, Simon Sinek, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, the book, you know, start with why. Yep. And I read that book from cover to cover. It really spoke to me, even though that's about marketing, even though that's about, you know, companies and the why behind their product or service that really relates to, me uh, from uh, from my perspective it relates to me as a creative right and and really it it even uh works its way into my personal life mm-hmm. you know and and there's lots of things to glean from it and <clears throat> i tell lots of people like what if they ask what's a good book to read as a creative i say that one yeah. start with why start with why yeah because everything will filter through that yep and and it'll give you it really creates a laser focus for you remember um, our conversation and, way back when about coppola yeah. you were yeah. telling me about how when people would ask him questions yep. about like well, what about this and he always was able to go it's about this one it was always he knew the why he knew the why absolutely. every single time he kept it super simple yeah, yeah and absolutely. this is part of what makes you a great dad i mean yeah. that's who you are you are a man of commitment you're a man of integrity it's easy to flake out and when things get hard yeah. That's when people usually want to run for the hills, and I don't know. I don't think that you have that really in you mm. to run for the hills, no matter how hard it gets. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's talk just real briefly. I think even about the the project, the yeah. the one that we spent a lot of time on, <laughs> and uh, what you remember about that, because we were dads during that. And that was a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I was uh, I was a new dad for the second time. Well, not too new, but yeah, a couple of years after my son Ron was born, and so. The film was called Fruitcake, and you know the the film itself, the story itself, uh, is very powerful about how we all can be labeled just by being different, right? And um, not knowing uh, who that person is, we immediately label those people. Mm-hmm. And once you dive into their story and understand who they are, they there's value and there's relationships to be had. That just because you're different doesn't mean you, you're not worth anything. That mm-hmm. you have nothing to offer, right? And um, that just that just spoke to me really heavily. And today's uh, you know social environment, I mean, that's still very relevant, very true. Right. And I think it's true. For, it'll be still true for years to come. Mm-hmm. Man, we worked on that for months before we even got a crew together. And right. then I remember doing the the shot list and storyboards from your script yeah. and showing you those. And it just it was one of those projects that anybody. We asked, and nobody made money on this. Nobody mm-hmm. was getting paid, um, but anybody we brought on to to help with that. Once you told them the story, they were on it. Yeah, you know, your son mm-hmm. Zach was you know starring in it, so right. we, that was uh, that was there. And then um, we both got to bring kind of our families into it. Yes, know? and I thought that was that was an amazing thing to do. And and that project, even though it was almost you know four years ago, we filmed it. Um, yeah. I still use that footage because I'm so proud of that. I'm so proud of what we did together. Yeah, me too. And I still cash the checks. Yeah, it's, Amazon Video, I can go to Blue Coast Burrito and take my family <laughs> out on the weekends. And that's right. We'll yeah. talk talk a little bit about our daughters because we share. Uh, we we both have a daughter and that shares the same name. Yeah. T- 
you mind talking a little bit about that and, and how that kind of connected to the, the film project? Yeah, so when we realized, as we started talking about our families, we had a daughter named Aubrey. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever you do a picture, you have to create a company name to put, you know, everything under. And we created Aubrey Pictures. And right. I thought that was cool. And, and uh, you know, the idea that, you know, we're first dads and then we're storytellers after. And That's that, right. I, so I thought it was very fitting. And um, that just made it even more special. Mm-hmm. Even more just like the stamp that what we were doing yeah. was was right. We're family men. Right. With wife, kids. And, you know, we're on location scouting, you know, for a good place to shoot a party scene. (laughs) And we're sacrificing time. A lot of time. And so we started trying to, I remember, we we would try to integrate as much as we could Mm -hmm. opportunities to experience it with our families when we could. And not just our children and our wives, but like... Even my parents, we did a, they catered yeah, yeah. a meal one night for the crew Yeah, that and they was awesome. came out and watched us shoot one of the scenes. Yep. And I remember one particular day, Bobby, when we were at uh, Melissa's house, yep. uh, which was kind of our headquarters and that her house was not only headquarters for the crew, but it also doubled as the, the actual home of our character. Our character, yeah. Yeah. But I remember both my sons were on the set. Yep. And if I remember right, that was the same day when your kids came out as yep. well. And I remember you and Rowan around the table. We had done the table scene. Right. Uh, and we were on a break. Yep. And he was just playing with the Epic Red camera. Yep. And you were just sitting there and just letting him just play with it like it was Tinker Toys or <laughs> or, or like a Lego set. Just While JT was nervous, our what? first AC was sitting there going, oh my gosh, what is what, he going to do? What not to do in the field? <laughs> Bring your kids to the set. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, well, no, I'm not going to edit that out. <laughs> we're keeping that. We're keeping we're that. Keeping because that. we're dads first. Yeah, we're storytellers second. Exactly. But I just remember thinking, oh, I'm so glad that Bobby and his son are having this moment right now. Yeah, and Ashley got a great photo of that, too. Yes. Our behind-the-scenes photographer. Yep. She got a great, great photo of that. And that's, uh, yeah, that's printed in his uh, baby's book, actually. Is it really? Yeah, it's in his oh, baby book. Cool. We just had all the pictures. Susan, my wife, is finally getting around to finishing the baby book, even though he's six years old now. Yeah. <laughs> so let's take a moment and, and actually go way back we've a stat we, okay. we we kind of briefly in passing mentioned <clears throat> well before we go back let, just give your whole family name your 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 wife your kids ages all that real quick yeah so um my wife is susan and she's uh 41 mm-hmm. uh my she's daughter, gonna love that she's gonna love hearing that yeah my daughter uh aubrey of course is uh she's nine mm-hmm. and my rowan is my, my rowan my son rowan is six and my wife is pregnant do like any day now. Which is so, so great. So crazy and great. I'm yes, so great. glad that we are doing this tonight for that alone, man. <laughs> you're, you're, I'm, you're, waiting, I'm waiting for my phone. I've got it right here so I can look at it in case it goes off. But yeah. <laughs> when you first got here, we were talking a little bit. And let's get back into that. You yeah. were talking about uh, staying up at nights and yeah. just waiting and, and the yeah. silence. How are you well, feeling about that, Dad? Well, you know, this was a, this was a surprise pregnancy. Uh-huh. Um, the irony of it all was I was weeks away from getting the snip. And, is that uh, right? <clears throat> that is right. And I, we were just waiting for the new insurance to kick in for the new year. And my wife said, I remember my wife coming to me and she goes, we kind of 
she, you know, we were wondering if she was pregnant and we've had these close calls before and we were just like, eh. And so she goes, you can cancel that, that appointment. Wow. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so yeah, so it was a, it was a, it was a surprise this year. Yeah. You know, having to revamp our house cause we didn't have a fourth bedroom. Uh-huh. So everything's been kind of in this, uh, have to do kind of, uh, mode, you know, get things ready. But yeah, in the last probably week or two, mm-hmm. it's been catching up for me like emotionally. Like I'm looking around and and looking at how our family is going to change. Right. I we were kind of prepared that this was going to be it. It was just going to be the four of us. And now there's this new person coming mm-hmm. at any time. We haven't thought about that. We haven't thought about it in years, and we have we're ready for it. Right. And even though we've had nine months to get ready, it, it's still not. You know, like I said, we've been in this. We've had to change our house around. We had to sell one of our cars. Actually, it didn't have to sell it because the engine blew. You know, so all those things, it's just been in this prep mode and get ready mode. I'm also remembering why we weren't going to have a third child. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all those things like, oh, we have to buy another car. Uh-huh. We have to, we don't have the room in our house. We, you know, you know, it's, you know, the costs of doing all this, you know, it's just all these things. And we're just like, we're older and. You're a little grumpier. A little, gr- <laughs> a little grumpier, a little grayer. A little slower. <laughs> a little slower, a little more tired. And I don't want to be selfish about it. And I don't want to be like, oh, now I'm remembering all reasons why. You know, I'm, there's joy in this. Sure. And, uh, you know, and, and, and to be honest, you know, I've been wrestling with that, you know, hmm. finding that joy. Yeah. And the more and more I talk to people, you know, that have three kids or that had an oops or whatever, they said it was the best thing that ever happened to them. And yeah. so... And in the back of my mind, I'm trying to conjure up what that's going to be like. Mm-hmm. It just, I just, I don't see it yet. And so that's, those are the things I'm struggling with, you know. Um, I'm sure I'll get there. But, yeah, it has, has been a struggle. I love <laughs> that you were just about to go in, and have the operation. Oh, uh, free tip, uh, dads. Uh, as someone who experienced the operation myself, <laughs> if they do tell you, hey, Wait five to seven days before you go jogging. Err on the side of eight to ten. Yeah, that's a free one. Oh, you guys uh, do what you want with that, but yeah. <laughs> so let's jump back to the the Tampa days, or even earlier, or whatever. Okay. I don't know how far back you want to go, but what I do want you to talk a little bit about is just some of your memories of being a son. Yeah. Talk about your relationship with your father. Yeah. What you remember thinking about what a dad is, any yeah. of that kind of stuff. What were some of your impressions growing up? Yeah. So I was an only child. Okay. Am an only child. And my both my parents typically, you know, typical of, you know, the 80s, both parents worked. Uh, we're very much a, a middle class family. And my dad was a lineman for the power company in Tampa. Mm. I just, I my earliest memories was that my dad worked hard. Yeah. So it's sweaty, yep. dirty. He humid. was outside all day long, humid. Mm-hmm. Never understood how he could wear a beard and work outside all day, but he did. <laughs> Rocked it like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> but I remember just him working hard. I remember uh, earliest memories was, you know, because I went to a private school yep. in my early education. Um, him having to drop me off and then my mom picking me up. And I wouldn't see him till dinner time and he'd eat dinner and then... A lot of times he would work on something in the house, work on the car, uh, work on the lawn. You know, there was, uh, you know, those are some of the early memories I have about my dad, and I, I really learned, but from both my parents, 
um, the the value of hard work and being in, almost intimidated by it. Hmm. Where it was like, is this how hard it is? Is this how hard it is to be an adult? And we didn't have a lot, but my parents loved to travel. And so they saved all their money so every year we could travel somewhere. Hmm. Um, we didn't put money into cars. We didn't have a huge house. I've got a bigger house now than mm-hmm. what my parents did when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. But they had more land, and there was woods behind us. And mm-hmm. I remember all the time the woods was my playground. I remember having lots of books, books on record. Remember those little, you know, little small records that came in the back of the book, like from movies and stuff like that. I remember Star Wars, mm-hmm. ET, all those little book, you know, the books, uh, Black Stallion. Um, and I just remember being really enthralled with those books, and that sparked the creativeness in me. Interesting. Being an only child, you know, my parents worked all the time. I had to kind of create things to do. I had to create whatever world I wanted to experience. Mm. And so those between those books and some movies and things like that, that's how I would throw myself in, you know, into those worlds. Gotcha. My parents couldn't be there all the time. You know, I was in music and I was in art and uh, even some sports, but they they did what they could. And I remember my dad being really invested, uh, especially when the music started to catch on more and more. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he would do what he could to always be there. Yeah. So it sounds like early on. It was equal part creativity and commitment that you learned uh, because you were an only child and you had this imaginative world that you could dive into. But your Mm -hmm. dad, you watched him work hard like you knew what commitment looked like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you say that that's I think that's very part of how why you are the way you are from a commitment? Absolutely. I mean, my mom and my mom kind of spoke into that as well. But yeah, both both my parents, when they made a decision to do something. I mean, they stuck to it. You know, it wasn't being hard-nosed. It was just like, you know, you, look, you whatever you start, you need to finish. It's not a reflection of whether you fail at it or whether you don't complete it and how bad you feel. It's how you're perceived. Mm. No matter what you do, you, you just need to finish it mm-hmm. and you need to commit to it. So, yeah, I, I think I adapted that early on. So it's probably fairly normal or common that guys that I would talk to that they would say that they had memories of their dad working hard. Mm-hmm. How did he handle working hard around you? What was your take on that with him? It did seem to wear him down. It did? Yeah, I mean, it was hard. It right. was really hard. It was not something he enjoyed. I think it was just more of responsibility and commitment mm-hmm. and knowing that this is this is what you do. I've been wanting to have a long discussion with my dad about growing up because there's a lot of things that are very vague for me. Mm. I remember a lot of things about him turning 40. Yeah. And so, but there's a lot of things earlier that I don't really have a good memory of. And I've wanted to have this sit down and say, Dad, what was it like? I want you to tell me what it was like. Yeah. Because I've gotten older. I'm learning things about my family that I never knew about. I never, there was things that I didn't learn until very later in life. I'm like, what? Things were, that's the way it was. That's the way our family was. I don't remember that. Isn't that funny how that happens? Like, yeah. I, I had, I've had a few of those sit down conversations recently and I was I was mind blown yeah by some of the stuff I was like I had no idea yeah that you know what I mean yeah yeah exactly the family dynamics yeah like you think things are peaceful and everything no there was turmoil I was like what yeah. I didn't know there was that kind of turmoil in our family yeah well, you know you then you start to realize, well, wait, what else was an illusion? Or well, what else wasn't <laughs> what else wasn't, you know, on the surface that as a as a kid you don't really notice, or maybe you didn't yeah. absorb it, or maybe, maybe you forgot. 
I want to have an interview with my dad. Yeah. I want to sit him down and let's talk about these real things because I'm finding out things about my grandmother and my grandfather mm-hmm. that I never knew about. And now, just now, I'm in my 40s. I'm just now finding out about these things. I would highly suggest you do that because yeah. beyond that, which is a great uh, reason to have a conversation with them, uh, you also find out like some of the motivations that led to certain things that you're like, oh, I didn't know that that was what was the precursor right. to why that happened, why yeah. we chose to do this or right. why you allowed me to do this or, you know, yeah. the, the agendas yeah. or sometimes just the, the climate of what was happening that would, you know, influence things. Well, as it relates, it's like it, now you start to realize and make the connection of like, oh, my grandfather was that way. Now that makes sense. Oh, well, my dad's that way. Yeah. You know, you can start to, even though the picture isn't very clear, I can already start to draw those strings, you know, mm-hmm. in between it. And so then you start to think about, well, what strings are between me and him, mm. me and my father? Mm-hmm. You know, whether they're good or bad, like what am I carrying on? Right. And how is that going to filter on to my son and my daughter? Yeah. It's very, I think those things are very important. No doubt. Are you, uh, so you, you, well, you said you want to sit down and do that with him. So you guys are in a, you guys are in a relationship now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you've had, you've had that over the years. I mean, there's, it's not an assumed thing that the dad in your childhood is present with you now as a man. So talk a little bit about how that has spanned maybe over the years Yeah. with him. Well, you know, we weren't a close family. Okay. There was not the daily hugs, the yep. daily I love you, love yous. In fact, that really didn't start happening until, at least from my recollection, didn't really start happening until, you know, I went on tour every summer during drum corps years, which was, you know, 17, 18 years old. Uh, and then when I moved out of the house, moved to Nashville, um, my mom basically ran the finances, ran the organization, ran, basically was the, you know, the, the, the administrative of the family. So when my mom passed away, my dad didn't know really how to do much. Didn't mm-hmm. know how to pay the electric bill. Didn't mm-hmm. know how to balance the checkbook. Didn't all, you know, all of the things when you're single for a long time, you kind of figure out. Well, my dad wasn't single. He moved from being living with my grandparents to being married. Mm-hmm. But then he, he had grief and things to deal with. And I didn't understand fully because I had my own grief to deal with after losing my mom. And then he moved away. Mm-hmm. He, moved, you know, he moved to Alabama. I moved back up to Nashville. And so there was this kind of distance and a wedge. And my dad went through many years of trying to figure out who he was going to be now Mm. without my mom. Yeah. And that caused me to have to second guess. Well, who is this man? Because he's becoming somebody I don't know. And then on top of that layer was, did I really even know him? Right. So there was all these complex layers that were forming. And so we haven't uncovered all those layers. We've worked through them Mm. to where we're starting to understand each other a little bit more, especially now that I'm finding out about my grandfather. I'm starting to understand who he is, and I think he's starting to settle into that. And also now that I have children, there's a relationship being formed there. And so I'm, I'm seeing that being created. So I think there's... a. I don't want to say an awakening, but, you know, there's just something that's being awakened in him. Mm-hmm. And so that is the dad I can relate to. And maybe gotcha. he's starting to understand where I'm at. Yeah. So, yeah, that relationship has 
it was strained for a while, but it's 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 starting to get good. And it's such an interesting thing once you become a dad yourself. How all of a sudden you look at this guy who you've got all this time and memory and baggage with mm-hmm. and you start to go, oh, wait a minute. And you realize like, you know, if I hold on to that, then I got to look in the mirror on this. Mm-hmm. Or you start to think the way that they did things, you just see it through a completely different lens mm-hmm. because now all of a sudden you're wearing a dad hat right. and you can't look at it the way you used to look at it. So yep. like nostalgia gets thrown out the window. Yeah. Even memories <laughs> get thrown out the window. As you yeah. said earlier, you start th- asking like, you just have a whole other perspective of how you look at them, which is a great a great opportunity for, I remember a, a pretty swift transition from I'm a dad and I got this to dad calling him up on the phone. <laughs> what do I do? What, what do I do? I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. And a lot of times it would just be met with laughter. Like, <laughs> it's your turn, pal. Figure it out. You know? <laughs> well, and, that, and, and it was weird because, you know, when I first moved away, when I moved to Nashville, I remember always, whenever I had a problem, I'd call and talk to mom. Mm, yeah. She had the answer. Right. To almost anything. She was a paralegal. So she, there's a logical brain yep. that worked Very pragmatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was very practical. You know, when my wife and I were running into issues, first thing I thought of was call your mom. Mm-hmm. And I realized real quick, I'm like, wow, I'm, he's alive. <laughs> I mean, he's there. He was there when I grew up, right? Why am I not calling him? Mm. And it took a long time, but now, now I am. You know, and that, I think that's been the shift: becoming a dad and becoming, you know, a, a, an adult and growing up and things like that. It's it's interesting to to think about that dynamic. Yeah. And then you start to think, well, why is that? Why 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 can I not talk to him about these things? Yeah. I want my kids to be able to call me. Right. You know, even though I, I know that they typically go to, to my wife uh-huh, <laughs> when uh-huh. things happen. But in any moment I can, I want to make sure that they know that, look, you can, you can talk to me. You yeah. can come to me anytime. Would yeah. you say that your relationship with your dad now is more marked by it's, it's, it's a healed relationship or it's more marked by it's just new layers? It's a healing. It's in the process. Yeah, it's in the process. Yeah. Like, you know, we just recently had the eclipse. Yeah. You know, so we got to talk a lot about that, how we're both preparing for it. You know, he's got the telescope. I've got the camera. So, <laughs> yeah. so um, there's not a lot of heart conversation. Occasionally there is. Occasionally it just comes out because I don't have anybody else to talk to. Right. I'm starting to notice that I can voice these things to him. Yeah. You know, and even though he might not have an answer, uh, which often he doesn't, and that's okay. Uh, but the fact that I'm able to do that tells me that it's in that process and it's, it's slowly becoming. So I'm going to put you on the spot here, but I'm going to ask you, when you say it's in process, is that because, Bobby, you have a an intentional desire for it to get to a place of healing where it gets on a, a deeper level or are you kind of just taking it day by day and it's fair either way i'm just curious yeah i, I think it is a day-by-day process um i do have a desire yeah to do that 
um, because I want to break through that void of having a close relationship. Yes. I think it's more, in, in a certain way, it's selfish because I don't want to have that with my kids. I'm not expecting him to, you know, pass on anytime soon, but you just, you know, you don't know. My, my mom died unexpectedly. I just know that there's always that chance mm -hmm. whether he, you know, he passes on next week or in 20 years mm. that we don't have any regrets. Right. And that's, that's, you know, even if he passed away tomorrow that I could say, you know what? It, it was good. Yeah. It wasn't the best it could be, but it was good mm -hmm. um, that we're working towards that. And then it may not be, you know, it, it may, it may never get to a certain point that I have in my mind. Yeah. But that it gets to a point where it's like we got better and better and better as years progressed. You're listening to my conversation with guest dad, Bobby Marco. But before we get to the second part of that conversation, I had a thought. I'm sitting on the porch of cabin number six at the Connect River Lodge in Palmer, Alaska. And it happens to be Father's Day. And this is the first time in 19 years as a dad where I've not been with my family. So when you sit on the porch and you have beautiful scenery around you, you know, your, your thoughts open up. And, and so I had something that I thought I'd share. And I just, for lack of a better term, I just call this truth, lie, and theory. The truth is that anger is basically like an acid, an acid that eats all the way down into the very depths of your soul. Now that's a truth. A lie is that staying angry will actually benefit and help my situation get better. And here's my theory. My theory is that staying angry will actually hurt my influence. Now I'm someone who likes to share light uh, with just about everyone around me, whether you're on my left or on my right, whether you're a friend or whether you're someone I've never met before, a complete stranger. I can't influence if I have anger deep inside of me. But I know that dads struggle with this. Anger is just something that is very common to us. It's almost like air. And maybe it's as simple as we feel very responsible. And as a result, it just builds up in us like this volcanic kind of thing. But I challenge you to take a moment and think about what is something that is true for you? What is something that is a lie? And what's something that is a theory? Um, in my life, if I am losing control the less control I have, the higher my emotion is. Does that sound familiar? The less control that I have in my life, the higher my emotion is. I want to be appreciated through words of affirmation from those I love and who love me back. And when I don't get that, I have an emotional reaction. It's not a volatile one, but I have one. Moody or insecure or maybe even jealousy if I see it happening with someone else. Now, if I don't feel respected, that's a whole other thing. Then my emotional reaction is a lot more volatile and it just comes out in, in anger. Um, and so that goes back to the whole truth, lie, and theory that I wanted to share with you because I realized that that is true for me, that being angry and having that kind of a reaction, if I don't feel respected, uh, that that's like an acid. So I just encourage you to take time to look at that. What is something that is true for you? What is something that is a lie? And what's something that is a theory? And on this Father's Day, I wanted to say to all of you who are dads out there, stay in the fight, keep working on yourself. It's a very, very difficult thing to do, but it is the most rewarding thing in the world to be a father. Dads, you've probably heard the label involved dads. That just means that you're present in your child's life. 
but Dad Matters exists to help you move from being involved to being engaged with your kids. And the more effectively engaged you are, the more connected and confident you will feel about the relationship with your kids. Think of it this way. It's similar to climbing a mountain. And if being involved with your child is like the base camp, then the summit is engagement. I want to help you summit because I want you to enjoy what it feels like to be confident and connected to your kids. Here's the thing about climbing to a summit. Climbers who summit always plan and they always respect the climb. And dads, it's the same with your kids. You have to plan for it. That's why I have a free action tool for you. It's called Six Tips to Effectively Engage Your Child. Just go to my website, dadmatters.org. Right there on the main page, click Free Tool. Again, just go to my website, dadmatters.org. On the main page, click the Free Tool button. All right, dads, pull up a chair for the second part of my conversation with guest dad, Bobby Marco. For, for, the, for my audience, Bobby gets asked to speak at, you know, whether it's lectureships or he's, he's spoken at film things before. A Q&A kind of thing isn't new to him, but a podcast about being a dad and, and talking about those kind of things, this is kind of a new area. But I also think there is a golden opportunity for you just to be able to also just share some of your story. Yeah. We are going to get to the dad stuff with right. you. Yeah. But... I want to touch on something, and I'll let you take it wherever you want to go with it. Yeah. I would imagine, I don't know how old you were when you lost your mom. Right. How old were you? Let's see, that was 2002, so I was 28. Okay, so I would imagine that that's at least part of your story. I'm sure, sure that not only your dad, but your mom and the loss of your mom, mm-hmm. there's a definite connection to that on your road to manhood. Yeah. All of your thoughts and processes and everything that you do. Sure. So I don't want to... Um, ask a particular question. I just sure. want you to be able to share whatever part of your story people have not heard, Bobby, yeah. because you have a story to be told. Yeah. So share whatever you'd like to share about that. So I was married before, before my wife, Susan. I was, you know, I had gotten married right after that music transition. I transitioned out of music. And I used to kind of joke that something bad would happen to me every six months. Mm. And I could always go back and look. Six months this happened. Six months ago this happened. I got in an accident. Six months, I, you know, blah blah blah, whatever. And so when we got when I got married to my first wife, mm-hmm. um, I was like, I'm not going to say that anymore. This is a new start. Mm. And it just so happened, six months later, my mom passed away, almost to the day. And then six months after that, I, my wife and I had left Nashville to go back down to Florida to go help my dad. I felt like I was losing a lot. And then not a couple years after that, my wife left me. So there's a lot of loss. Yeah. I'd lost my career, what I felt like was my career. Mm-hmm. I lost my mom, lost my wife. And then shortly after, my dad moved to Alabama. So now I'm in Florida where I don't want to be all by myself again. And obviously there was a, a deep hole. Yeah that I, f- I didn't know if I could come out of it. Mm-hmm. And it was around that time that um, my wife now, Susan, actually we're, we were good friends for many years. I'd known Susan for a long time, and we just, just so happened to start talking again. I wasn't thinking about family, wasn't thinking about marriage, wasn't thinking about, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And with my dad moving to Alabama, I've, there was just there was no sense of family. Mm-hmm. I, didn't have, I felt like I really didn't have anybody. Yeah. And 
you know, and, and with that time period and then reconnecting with Susan, it was only through then that I realized that there was something that could be new again. Hmm. And I think what's happened since then, going through loss after loss after loss after loss, is that, uh, and this kind of goes back to, you know, what you described was that I'm going to commit to living again. Yeah. And it was kind of a fresh new start. I could go anywhere, do anything. And, and, and in a way, it kind of was going back to what I knew of my parents, both my mom and dad. And I say, look, you, you just got to keep going. You know, do you have something to say? Do you have something to do? And I was always just the type that's like, I, I've, I can't just stop. And in some ways, that has caused me to not talk about my story because I don't want to remember it. I don't want to think about it because that's stopping. But I think it's good to do that every now and then. And uh, I have to force myself to think about it. I have mm -hmm. to force myself to, to deal with that. Susan and I have been married for twelve year, almost 12 years. And we have to do that every now and then. You know, and I'm so thankful for Susan. I'm so thankful for my wife. She's the type that she's going to remember. She's going to remember I need to stop and do that every now and then. Mm -hmm. We're a praying family, and, and every week we pray together. You know, and that, those are those moments that we have to stop. Mm -hmm. And she says, what's going on with you? Yeah. How's things going? She wants you to check in she and, wants and own whatever you're really feeling. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, she, she knows how important that is. Because there's been lapses. There's been lots of relapses where that stuff has come back up. And it manifests itself in ways that is not good. Like what? Well, I mean, just, just, just ways that, you know, depression. Depression. And that where that sends you and where it, what can happen yeah. and, and how that depression can affect you overall. Yeah. It, it cripples you, mm. you know. And especially now as being a dad and, and having a family it's not now it's not just me that it's affecting and not to say that you need to cover it up but you know you have to still function you have to be there for them right and there's going to be moments where you need to talk about that story i'm sure i'm going to have to tell my kids you know that i was married before how my mom died you know mm -hmm. talk to my kids about you know why you don't want to distance yourself from your family why it's important to say I love you, mm -hmm. to give them hugs, to give them the affirmation. You know, my parents, as much as I recognize that they did as well as they could, I never had that. I never had that closeness. Hmm. I remember seeing my wife with her family. I, you know, my wife talks to her mom every day, you know, and they have a very close relationship. And I'm like, what is that? How do you have that? How does that work? You know, and even though movies aren't a good gauge of reality, you know, there are there are some movies that I watch. I'm like, man, I'd love to have that kind of close relationship. Does that really exist? Uh -huh. Hell yeah, it exists. Uh -huh. You have to you have to do it, though. You have to commit to it. You have to work at it. Yeah. And you don't always want to do it, you know, but I'm always thankful that we do. I'm thankful for my wife to say, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know, that she takes the time to do that for me. Because if she didn't, I probably wouldn't say anything. Hmm. And then who knows what that would be like. So would you say that being able to communicate how you feel is something that you are typically resistant to 
in that it, it could cripple you and hold you back from being able to move forward. Yeah. And so is there a fear in owning any of those hard truths from your past even now? Oh, there's lots of fear. Yeah? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I have I have great fear about owning that. Why is that? Why is being honest about how it was, how, how does that realistically cripple you now in your mind? As, a, as opposed to, this is what happened, but this does not define who I am. Do you know what I mean? Because it's I, a vulnerable. I don't, I don't know those head games at all yeah. that, you ha- that you had the burden of having to deal with. I think it's a vulnerability that I just I feel like is being perceived as weak. Gotcha. And I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that you have to be strong, you know, to get through life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's a vulnerability that I just don't like having because I feel like it's, there's two things. One, it's being perceived in my mind as being weak. And two, I, I don't want people to feel sorry for me. Oh, okay. And I don't know why that is. I, I just feel like, and maybe it's the way, maybe it's the way my parents were. I mean, it's just like, you know, when I think about it, it's like, again, it goes back to that that life you know that I perceived my dad like it's like you just worked hard you worked hard you got through it you didn't deal with emotions there was no emotions in my family yeah there was no way to deal with emotions there was not the I love you every day there wasn't like hey I'm having a hard time with this can we talk about it mm-hmm. yeah right mm-hmm. there was none of that in my house don't worry about it yeah. just keep going move on you know and I think that's unfortunately maybe that's that's kind of what instilled in me and so when I think about Dealing with the emotional past and dealing with all those that fear of of being vulnerable. No, that's that's being still. That's not that's that's talking about past. I want to move forward. I want to I want to keep going. Yeah. And I know it's not accurate. I know it's not truth. But you are saying that's your natural default. You default to move move forward and move on. That's that's in the yeah. Past. If Susan was sitting right next to me, she'd be laughing. Yeah. And saying, yeah. I have to force him. Yeah. To yeah. do this. But yeah, my natural default is to go. Uh, I'm staying away from that with a ten foot pole, uh-huh. and we're gonna let it sit there. I'll come back to it maybe. Yeah. Um, but let's move forward. Okay. So here's a little bit of a monkey wrench. I'm I'm definitely a guy who not only do I wear my heart on my sleeve, I'm pretty transparent mm. and I I don't for whatever reason I don't seem to worry about if I'm going to talk too much about a particular thing that's painful. I'll just go. I right. just go. But there is a block for some people with that. Mm-hmm. And so if there are dads who are listening who they are blocked whether it's emotionally or because of past events or whatever, mm-hmm. is there any encouragement or good things that you would say to them about why it is important to still check in with their significant other or their yeah. children or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I think what it does is it helps me understand when those times will come up with my kids. Okay. Yeah. So me being able to say, I don't want to do this. I don't. I don't. I don't want to talk about this but I'm going to me doing that with Susan, my wife helps me understand that if my kids are dealing with something Mm -hmm. they don't want to talk about. And I can say, look, I understand what it's like to not want to talk about fear or not want to talk about something you just don't feel good about. I understand that because now I've got something to share with them and Mm -hmm. and it engages me with them. Yeah. That on its own, to me, is worth it to say, I understand where you're coming from. 
And that creates that bond that I feel like I didn't have with my kids or had with my parents. You know, we didn't have those heart-to-heart talks. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the sex talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the only sex talk I had was my dad found a condom in my drawer and says, you know, these things expire. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I that said was, that was the talk. Oh, uh, uh, that was the talk. I was like, oh, uh, well, my friend gave it to me. He goes, okay, well, yeah, see you later. That was it. That's you one. Ver- that, that's one version of the birds <laughs> and the bees, I guess. <laughs> that condoms expire. <laughs> uh, we all want to change the tide. We all want to do things differently than wh- what our parents did, and that's that's natural. But that means we have to own up to our past and own up to who we are, and that's only going to create a pathway. For us as dads to engage with our children now, mm-hmm. if we continue to to own the same pattern as our parents before us, we're not changing anything. We're continuing the same lineage that we adopted. So in order to change that, we have to change. You know, I can't f- just tell my kids to tell me. I've got to do it myself. You know what's crazy about that whole thing of when you, <laughs> I, I, I have deceived myself sometimes into thinking I'm doing pretty good with that. Mm. And I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty transparent with my kids, or, or I, I, I definitely own this one, or I'm not as selfish as I used to be. <laughs> I, I'm doing really good with that. And it's like, no, you're not. No. <laughs> you're actually. At, the, you were like saying yeah. if Susan was sitting next to you, she'd be laughing about some of that stuff. Right. Yeah. If I was sitting next to my wife and I was like. How am I doing on a, with the selfish thing on a scale of one to ten? I'm sure that in my mind I'd be doing tons better. You know what I mean? You'd rate yourself a ten; she'd give you a three. Yeah, but it's but, but the, here's the crazy thing: I'm working on that. Yeah, I'm working really hard on that. Yeah, whatever roadblock it is that you are dealing with that you are trying to be better about, at least beware that there is a good chance that in your mind you're doing better in your mind than you actually are, actually are. in reality. It's yeah. crazy. It's it, a it's a crazy thing. And you're wife is a good barometer for that because it's like in your own mind you're not thinking that something's up but she knows something is yeah and the only way to to know that is for you guys to engage in, in a conversation about it yeah you know it feels like it's work every week you know every day and you know and that's okay that's okay before we leave the subject of, of dealing with pain, I want to ask you, just from your perspective and mm-hmm. your own experiences, Bobby, mm-hmm. whether a dad that is listening is dealing with a pain point in life as something that has nothing to do with being a husband or a father or if it's directly tied to that, mm-hmm. what would you say is, in your perspective, something that's true about how dads deal with pain and something that might be a lie about how dads deal with pain when you live life long enough pain is just going to be there it's just not avoidable and i think sometimes we live in a way to avoid pain we put up barriers and i do it i do it all the time so it's natural we want to feel comfortable about ourselves some people use spending as a way to feel good about themselves they'll buy new clothes watch tv or you know i'm not i'm not saying those are bad thing i'm just saying we all put up those barriers and they all look different so that to me is the truth it's just it, pain is inevitable the lie is that when that pain happens that there's no hope that the fear and it feels that way and i get it it feels like there's no hope i think if you stop deal with the pain Get through it, but don't ever tell yourself or don't ever let that lie creep into your mind that there is no hope. 
that was a lie I I heard, and yeah. that's what slipped me into that depression. Yeah. Imagine, Bobby, what hope looked like for you 15 years ago. It's different. So talk a little bit about the things that you feel like when you think about Aubrey, when you think about Rowan, and when you think about Elizabeth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What are some of the things, lessons learned, that mm. you want to pass on to them? That persistence and hard work pays off. And I already see that. I already see that in, my, in Aubrey. The girl stops at nothing when she has it in her mind to create something. Mm-hmm. It, it blows me away. Rowan is just as eager to learn. But at the same time, I hope they absorb the fact that relationships are just equally as important. Because between those two, the hard-working relationships, you're going to grow stronger as a person. Yeah. I'm picking things that, out of me, I'm picking things out of my wife, Susan. Because <laughs> yeah. I feel like if you get... The best of both worlds between us two, you're, uh-huh. you're going to be great, <laughs> great. Uh, so, and those, and that's what it is. My wife, you know, Susan, she's very invested in relationships. She's a very much a people person. Yeah. And then looking at myself, it's like, you know, the determination and commitment and hard work. You know, mm-hmm. and man, if we could get that into one little person, that becomes a big person. There'll be no stopping them. There'll be no stopping them. <laughs> They're going to be. They're gonna be CEO of some major company. They're gonna they're gonna upend Elon Musk and right, um, right, right, <laughs> right, right. So, what? Hey, so let me ask you this. This is I've I've got one. Uh, we're leading to my last question, but I've got one more that I wanted to ask about you and Rowan specifically. Yeah. Um, try to think for a moment from his perspective. Yeah. What do you think, Rowan? Uh, and maybe right now it's not something he can formulate as much as he would be able to. You know, years from now. But in general, mm. when he looks at you mm. as a dad, honest, 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 what do you think Rowan would say would, if he was able to articulate it really well <laughs> about his dad, Bobby Marco? What do you think mm. he would say? What do you think are his impressions of you as a father? The things that he definitely notices. You know what I mean? Well, I know he notices that I love to play sports with him. <laughs> so I think right now he would say, you know, that I'm probably a fun dad, mm-hmm. you know, but that I very much encouraged him to be involved and to do his best, but don't try to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think his observation is of you as uh, a husband? Uh, what do you think his observation is of you when you have to deal with an emotional outburst or a, a, a crisis moment or, you know, the things that he sees behind closed doors that the rest of the world doesn't see? What What do you think Rowan would say if he was able to articulate it about Bobby Marco, about how you walk through that stuff? I think he would articulate that his dad does the best he can, that he spends as much time with them as much as he can mm-hmm. and that he loves them very much mm-hmm. and that he makes a point to always say that and that he invested uh, as much as he can into whatever they were doing you know whatever they love to do I think he does see those things yeah and so I would think that that's what he would say that's good man I'd say that's a job well done then thank you I that's good so. I don't remember at what point I 
stop thinking that my dad was a, a superhero and that he was actually flawed. <laughs> I'm sure within the last few days, I had an emotional outburst in my house. Right. So they're, they're at the point where I don't wear a cape anymore. They right. know that I am a flawed man. Right. I don't know that we always stop to think about maybe how our children are perceiving us. Yeah. So it is a hard question. I'm aware of that. Yeah. But I think Aubrey and Rowan are very blessed Thank you. to have you as a, as a dad. And also, and just real quick, I, yeah. I think it's important that it's okay for us to apologize to our kids. Yeah, or, absolutely. And to own up. Because you yep. think as a parent, you're always right. But you know, there's times you're not going to be. There's times you're going to screw up. And I think it's important that you voice that and you say, look, I'm sorry. Every time I, I've only had to do it a couple of times. And every time my kids, have, they just smile, mm-hmm. give me a huge hug. And they say, it's okay, dad. <laughs> yeah. And man, you want to talk about a heart melt. Yes. Man. And it just, that just affirms yeah. that what you're doing is right. And you know what else? It, it's a good reminder that kids are pretty resilient. That yeah. Oh, yeah. the damage is not necessarily near as bad as you think it might be. No. And once you do, at least own it. You know. It, All right, clean yeah, slate. Let's say start over. Yeah. Let's have fun tomorrow. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. All right, man. So let's get down to the last thing, and this is what I call the two-minute legacy. And I, every time <laughs> I talk to the, uh, a dad, I ask them to imagine that they basically have two minutes, and it's not a perfect clock scenario, so don't don't worry about getting it to the second. But you have to imagine that in two minutes, the mics are off, the influence is over, and it's not so much a comment about you as a, a dad, you, you, what you would say. It's just, Bobby, what you would say mm. about all life lessons learned. If you had to boil it down and share what you would say is your two-minute legacy... What would you say? <laughs> well, my legacy in general would be that I was able to make a difference in someone's life, that it changes them in some way, that it makes them think differently in some way. And when it comes to being a dad, obviously I want that to be in my children and in my marriage that my wife can see that, but also, you know, and, and even in my work, you know, that as a creator, as someone who is in the artistic realm, that there was something that I made that made someone think about something differently in a different way, in a different light. To me, I think that's, that's really all that I hope I can do. And whatever I leave behind, whether it's through a talk or, you know, a, a moment in my kids' lives, that there's always a memory that we that'll live on, something in them that they can always point back to. Hmm. That's good, Bobby. I'm honored to be able to call you a friend. I'm really, hmm. uh, I've I told you that I was grateful that you've come out tonight and and shared from your heart. I want you to know that if if you had no skill sets whatsoever as a storyteller, you are still all heart. And you are such a trustworthy individual that I would still want to know you and associate myself with you because of those things first. Mm. Um, I've talked uh, in, in, in the past in talks that I've prepared about how you have to 
trust people and you were someone who I entered into a, a partnership on a project where we had to, had to trust. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but one of my things is to not just give that away willy nilly. Like you really, you have to look for people who are trustworthy, but you show up trustworthy, man. You Mm -hmm. really do. And I'm honored to call you a friend, but I'm really glad that we got to sit down tonight and I got to hear from you the truth that you shared. And I think that it's going to be a benefit to other dads and it means a lot to me personally. So thank Mm -hmm. you for coming out. Thank you, David. I'm, I'm, equally as honored and and blessed that we're we're friends and we have this together thanks man so dads i hope that you were able to uh take something from this conversation i know that i have i definitely would encourage you to take a moment and start just thinking about any ways that anything that has been shared uh might apply to you and if it doesn't well i hope you still enjoyed the conversation nonetheless I enjoy being able to just talk with other dads and I would strongly encourage you to find another dad that you know that's within a mile or two or even 30 miles and get on the phone with them and just talk to them about being dads, what you're learning. One of the best things that we can do as fathers is talk to other dads you know, about what they're doing and sometimes some of the best things that we can learn are the things that they've done wrong. Uh, it's there's a lot of wisdom that can come from that. So I hope this has been helpful to you dads and uh, we look forward to another conversation soon under the stars. And so until next time, dads, put down your phones and hug your kids. Dad Matters is produced and edited by David Wilkinson and mixed by Josh Myers. Remember dads, those three questions that I want you to always ask yourself. Number one, where do I recognize myself in this conversation? Number two, what tools can I borrow from this dad? And number three, what's one thing that I can try this week? So if you have a positive experience with your kids and you feel more confident and connected to them, let me know about it and I'll try to share it. Send it to david at dadmatters.org. I want to thank Bobby Marco for being on the podcast and I want to tell you dads, you won't have to wait long for the next episode. It's called A Conversation with My Dad, where I'll be talking with my own father, Larry Wilkinson. My experience is that I didn't do everything right, even when I wanted to. And so why force that? Why not be honest? I did want to be real, and I wanted to tell you there's okay okay to make mistakes. Because when you cover up mistakes, you end up actually creating more. And it's so much easier to just unload right up front. Just come out with it. And then, you know, then you remind each other that you're, you're dealing with this. You don't have it perfected, and it's a work in progress. That's guest dad and my father, Larry Wilkinson, from episode 10, A Conversation With My Dad. It comes out in just two short weeks. Finally, dads, my free action tool is ready for you. Six tips to effectively engage your child. Confidence and connection with your kids is absolutely possible. You just need a plan. So go to dadmatters.org and on the main page, click free tool.